Welcome to episode 195 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, Today is edition number 99. That's right. We are approaching the big 100, edition 100 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I uh, were fortunate enough to go to First Pitch Arizona this past weekend and participate in a 15-team, 50-player draft and hold draft. Uh, as part of that event. Uh, it was a great time. There was a lot of um, quality players in there, some that you know, like Justin Mason, Paul Sporer, Michael Simeone, uh, Dave McDonald, Mike Kerland. I'm sure I'm forgetting um, some other folks that were there. It was just a great a group of folks and then some just other terrific players. Um, so a lot of fun. And yeah, it was the first draft of the season that we did. And so it was really interesting to go into that and draft. So Bub and I will take a look at the first six rounds of that draft, going through with a focus on our own picks, but then also taking a look at some really interesting players uh, through the first few rounds. So really hope you enjoy this as part of our kind of off-season heading into 2022 draft prep uh, podcast work. So hope you enjoy this. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do go to uh, Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform. Leave a five-star rating and review. Always really appreciate that. Uh, helps us get in front of some more people. But most importantly, you can find me on Twitter at BatFootCrazy, Bubba at, on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba on the Bat Flip, episode 99. Oh, so close to Mr. 100. Uh, thanks for listening to us once again tonight as we recap our trip to FPAS and, more importantly, the uh, draft and hold that we took part in the first 23 rounds to get ready for the 2022 season because it was wild. There was a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things that took place in that draft, so we'll talk about that and recap that for a little while, take some awesome listener questions as we start prepping for 2022 you can find myself on Twitter at BDNTrick and my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? Bubba, we are doing well. Thank you. It was it was great to hang out with you at First Pitch Arizona. I almost totally forgot that our next episode is episode uh, 100, which is really exciting. So um, yeah, that's pretty that, cool. yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, First Pitch Arizona was great. Um, it was awesome to hang out with everybody, see a little baseball, do some drafting and just get a chance to meet people. I mean, uh, I had been once before and had an opportunity to meet some folks before, which was really nice to see them again. But um, getting to meet new people and, and hanging out with people like yourself, you know, and watching the playoffs was a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was great hanging out with you. A little bub on the bat flip time was always good. And then, um, yeah, so many awesome people like right into the game with Miles and Nick the first day. And then, you know, hanging out with all the guys for the, the game, the second night, the Joey Weimer game. Uh, that was that was something else. Oh, and, and then just just the little things in between, like you said, meeting people, poker nights. And uh, it, it was cool just um, seeing the industry and hopefully more and more people could come out as maybe things get a little better, hopefully next year. And, you know, safety's better and so on and so forth. So I, I hope that more people want to go and 
can go because uh, I this is my first year. Toby said now it's his second, and I'm going to try my darndest to go every time. Like there's going to be years where I just can't, and it's feasibly not possible. But between just baseball in general, it was great, and then the people and the fantasy baseball, it was it was a great like three or four days. So um, highly recommend it to anybody out there that can pull it off. It's not for everybody. I get it, but if you can, it's awesome. So I, I would definitely check that out. But um, we'll get into our draft here in a second. I guess what I'll say, was there any like takeaways from anything you heard or just conversations for either looking back on 2021 or looking ahead to 2022 that kind of stood out with you thinking like, wow, I didn't think of that or the um, people on like the same page as me? Because there was a lot of like small discussions, like kind of outside the main discussions from time to time. We're like, hmm, that's interesting. Never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I didn't know about Joey Weimer before uh, oh, man, before dude. our trip. The legend. Uh, for those who weren't following on Twitter, Joey Weimer is a prospect in, in the Brewers system, and um, it was interesting because even during during the panel to to kick it off, there was some discussion on prospects, and some folks mentioned you know Joey Weimer is kind of an under the radar guy who has you know kind of. Um, uh, the freak factor. Like the freak, the freak factor, factor. exactly. <laughs> and so we didn't know what we were in for, but then we went to the game and one of the teams was just absolutely stacked. It was like Joe Gray from the Brewers, followed by um, uh, Beatty or Batty yeah. from the Mets, who according to a lot of people, I'm wearing my Mets hat today, uh, is was the best player that they've seen so far um, in the Arizona Fall League. And then after that, it was Spencer Torkelson, then after that, it was Weimer and then Tolio from the Rockies who hit a bomb and uh, Tovar, I think, as well. So just like a bunch of, you know, really elite prospects all on one one team or not like super elite, but like, you know, recognizable. But Weimer just crushed it from the get go. So we kind of went in with this knowing about kind of the freak factor that he has. And dude's got this long blonde mullet, like just... <laughs> you know, party as Bubba told me, like this guy's party all the time, yeah. but just, you know, high energy guy. I, I mentioned he reminded me a little bit of Eric Burns, mm -hmm. but you know, he started off the game with an opposite field home run. That was 108 miles per hour um, exit velocity. The following inning, he threw a guy out at third base from right field with just an absolute cannon. You know, the next time he's up, I think he got hit by a pitch or, it was either that time he got hit by a pitch or walked, uh, ended up scoring, and just everybody in the ballpark, just the energy that he was bringing and the party that he represented, everybody was getting behind him. So he'd come up and just random pockets of the audience, since there were, like wasn't a ton of people there, were just shouting his name, and it was a lot of fun. That was it. That was a great game. It was nice to sit, you know, next to everybody and kind of catch up with Ryan Bloomfield and meet some new folks like Jesse, um, you know, who 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 uh, is an NHL fantasy person, but also a baseball fantasy person. So yeah, that was kind of a highlight for me, but um, I don't know what were some, some takeaways from you or any, any recollections from that game in particular you wanted to share? Well, that game particularly, like you said, it was just the different players and like the freak factor. We are sitting there and you see him just jogging in as he's getting loose before the game and the hair is bouncing. We're just like, Oh my gosh, like here it is. And that, that was something that, that stood out in a big, big way. But that game, I guess, if I could point out a negative factor, the pitch clocks that make it an automatic ball or an automatic strike got out of hand mm -hmm. real quick. That was something like they're because in, in the fall league, for those that didn't know, they're testing out the 15 second pitch clock and it was to a T. 
Like if, if it was the batter's fault, it was a ball or a strike. If it was the pitcher's fault, it was a ball. Spencer Torkelson struck out on his first at bat because the pitchers, the, the the clock. Um, they were enforcing box more. A guy, the pitcher got called on a timed bo- a ball and then a balk following that because you can't step off the bag, I think, more than once or something. So that was weird. Uh, they're using bigger bases. That was kind of fun. But you couldn't do the shift. You had at least two guys on each side of the infield. That was interesting. So, oh, I uh, didn't notice all these things. You're so perceptive. Yeah. Like, Well, I noticed I the shift, really especially the first game. That game in surprise, I noticed it big time because you'd see – we were sitting on the right field, uh, the first baseline to start the game. The shortstop would be literally like a half a foot to the left of the bag. Mm. He'd get all the way over and stop. And like uh, they do that all the time, and then they kind of move around again. So there's some other rules, I believe. But it was interesting to see the the biggest ones, that, that timer. Oh, and the automated umpire in um, Scottsdale. Because we were kind of wondering, you could see the ump. The ball would get there, take like two seconds, he'd make his call. So he'd have like a buzzer in his ear or something. So um, that was another one. So it was interesting. It's a lot of walks, lots of walks. Oh, we lot. saw. They, they called the game, game early. Had Twenty-two walks. They called the game and early because Mesa ran out of pitchers. <laughs> yeah, and that was the second game of like the five that we had tickets that we could have gone to that had twenty-two walks. Yeah. Um, in the game, it, it was the pitching was pretty ugly, but there was some really nice yeah. uh, hitting performances that we got to see for sure. And if I had to like pick any one thing, I, I, I can't like nothing in particular, but it was just really cool. The side sessions, like when we rode with Nick Pollock and, and Miles, and then Nick talking about the way he breaks down pitching, just kind of getting the one on one. And Fowley looked at certain guys, like we could, we were talking like Logan Webb, and then we we're talking Robbie Ray, and we we're talking just different guys and why he thinks this and that. And you know, you can agree or disagree, but you got to at least admit he's one of the better guys when it comes to pitching. So it, it was pretty cool to listen to him break it down. And then just like the, the different podcast sections, uh, there's just a lot of cool stuff. I could go on and on about all of it, but go. That's the one thing I'd say is go if you can. It's it's pretty darn cool. Just the camaraderie, if anything. Like the the second night, one or we're in the the side session of the bar watching the game, and Toby and Govier are playing video games like NHL '94 on Govier's computer. Yeah, got another crew so in this, got like another crew in the corner talking about like college like football. Like, like just little things going on the whole time. It was it was just cool to see the whole thing take place. So I'll for sure. That. And any anybody wondering how that went? <laughs> Govier crushed me. I mean, Go five ahead. to zero. It was Red Wings against the Maple Leafs from 1993. Just absolutely destroyed me. It was it was brutal. It was yeah. Brutal. Then like I saw the old school Nintendo RBI game come up or something. There were just all kinds of things. It was it was hilarious what Govier had going on over there. But that's Govier. And if anybody's curious, who you see on the internet is who you get in real life. He is the legit real deal. He's a great guy, like an amazing human being. But that is legit Michael Govier. So uh, enjoy that. But let's get into it. Draft and hold took place on the Saturday. There's four drafts going on. There's a draft and hold. There's a best ball. There was a auction, and there was, I believe, a score sheet took place. So a bunch of drafts going on. We were in the draft and hold, uh, 15 team, with um, you know Dave McDonald, uh, Jorge Montanez, Curlin, Simeon, uh, Sporer, Mason. I want to say that was what all the analysts, and then a lot of great like uh, Allen um, from Baseball HQ. Yes, was, was yes. part of it as well. Yes. Okay. I was in there and then there was some great listeners and just, that's the beauty of it. It's not all analysts that go to this thing. There's just great fantasy people. So like guys sit next to me, they listen to our show. They love our show. Like, so they were just in there talking to us the whole time and um, just a lot of great people. And I'm horrible with names. So I don't remember many names at all. So, but um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun kind of seeing where the uh, ADP would kind of start because they gave us a sheet, Toby, from the first draft that took place at Zola and some guys did. And I don't know about you, but some of those teams, 
don't know what they were thinking when they were drafting. That's all I uh, <laughs> just going over. That it was rough. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was an interesting experiment because I've done this draft and hold once before um, at First Pitch Arizona. You do we do twenty three rounds live in Arizona, and then later on this winter we'll do the last twenty seven rounds to fill out our rosters. But the last time I was there, I had I think steamer projections were already out, or there was some form of projections that I could rely on. But there just wasn't anything available, you know, right then. Like the steamer six hundred, obviously there are problems with that because Terrence Gore is the highest rated player because he's he's projected to steal like. 300 bases um you know there's problems with that and then the ones for the rest of the season or you know don't have enough plate appearances and so there's just you could get there but you just needed to do a little bit more work than i was prepared to do so it was fascinating because we had that sheet of adp and and as you mentioned i mean everybody's doing their best right um and, and we could be totally off on it but there was definitely some surprises in terms of where different players were going and I felt like, you know, the results from our draft are maybe a little bit more indicative of what we're going to see as we get closer to drafts in March, though, obviously there will be a variety of different changes there. So we have that list. We had, I had like, I threw in steamer 600 just to see if I could identify places where maybe there were some guys who were undervalued just from a skills perspective, but I really wasn't going off of much except for that. And then I also had some ADP from some other drafts that had been run that I had seen online and kind of uploaded into Google Sheets. So that provided a little bit of a guide for me, but really you were flying by the seat of your pants, you know? And I think that a lot of us were in a similar situation. I think compared to a lot of people, I had done a little bit more work than others. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was fascinating. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I, I legit was with a group of guys that uh, during lunch, I, I got up from the table, I went into the main lobby of the hotel where they had a printer and a computer and I just printed out like the top 500 players in the Rasball Player Raider because I just wanted a list of players because I didn't know they were going to give us a sheet. So I, I just needed a list of players to like have an idea in my head. And they gave us a sheet. And that was pretty much all I was going off of because I had I, I took a break once the season ended. I hadn't really started much anything. So um, it was kind of in my head. This is where I'm at. And, you know, luckily I drafted ninth. You were 11th, I believe, right? 11th. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was kind of in the middle. So I could kind of take a pick and then kind of see where it's going to kind of plan for a little bit and, and go back and forth, right? And that's go bang, bang or whatever, or reach or something like that. So it was still just weird because we're going to look back on this draft. At least I am. I already know. Cause I, I, we're going to talk about it here very, very shortly, but there's certain players. I'm like, how did that fall? And then I'm going to look, we're going to look back and I'm going to be like, that's why they fell. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, now it makes sense, but we'll see. It was very, very interesting. The one takeaway I have already is, Starting pitching is insanely deep, insanely deep right now. Now, that could totally change in March, but right now, as we stand, I think it's ridiculously deep. But any any positions or anything that stood out to you before we dig into this? No, I mean, I think I, I agree in the sense that it seems like starting pitching is deeper than hitting, at least at the beginning of the drafts. Um, that was kind of the experience, although our draft was fairly unique. True. Um, in the sense that, you know, I was drafting 11 and I got the first starting pitcher. Yeah. So I think as we get closer to March, I don't think that that same thing is going to happen. Right. When we have some answers to questions like, is Jacob deGrom healthy, you know, or does he appear healthy? You know, is he throwing in spring training? How does he look there? So it was interesting in that respect for me. 
Um, and I kind of went with, with a standard approach, not because I even went in, I didn't go in wanting to do that. Actually, I wanted to go, I went in wanting to draft, um, a hitter first and kind of see how my team could build that way because I like kind of the third and fourth round pitchers, but the way the draft fell to me, I just, I felt like I needed to take a couple guys in spots that ended up being, you know, kind of my traditional build in a lot of ways. So yeah, no, I'm with you. Well, so let's get into it. Uh, we won't go over every pick. Like I'll just name off the ones that went. Then we'll go over each of our picks, kind of give an explanation. If anything stood out before or after those picks, we can discuss them. And we'll do this for about 45 minutes or so and just kind of get a good idea of where things stood. But the, dra- the draft started off. Dave McDonald was one. He took Trey Turner, then went Tatis, Soto, Bichette, Acuna at five. And then, uh, and b- bear with me because the fuzzy picture everybody loves, it's what I'm trying to read and it's it's not the easiest. So, I might screw some things up. Like I can't yeah, tell who. Totally. Was and I just had my, my son just poked his head in the back there. I don't know oh. if you saw that, but no, I can't, I'm trying to read the screen. Um, I can't supposed to be, he's supposed to be sleeping. I'm flying solo tonight. I had the kids down, but <laughs> apparently that is not the case anymore. <laughs> I don't know who was after Acuna. I apologize. people. Oh, it was, um, it was the third base. I can't remember. Um, and then it went Otani, uh, Ramirez, J Ram went eight. I was sitting there next to Michael Simeon. Cause he was picking 10th. Toby was sitting behind me and I'm sitting there going, if J-Ram falls tonight, I'm going to be doing cartwheels. Like, this is going to be amazing. J-Ram goes at eight, so I kick off my draft with Mookie Betts. And this was a tough one for me, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second. But I love Mookie Betts. We've talked about him on the show. Going to probably be leading off for the, the Dodgers next year, if I hit, like, second for the Dodgers. Like, one of the best positions you can possibly be in in all of baseball. He's going to run. He's going to hit homers. He's going to score runs, drive him. He's going to do it all. Five, five categories through the roof. Not much goes wrong there. He was a little banged up this year, which is a bit disturbing as he gets older, but I think we can still rely on Mookie Betts to be great. I will say I was very torn on him and Kyle Tucker. Very, very torn. Because I love what Kyle Tucker did this year with 30 home runs, 14 stolen bases, nearly hit 300. All the stuff you can think of. Correa probably leaving town. Tucker will move up in the order potentially, most likely, which could just up the the, the counting stats, and uh, he could have just a monster season. I was very, very close to going Kyle Tucker, but I took Mookie Betts. That's what we're living with, and I don't mind it. But I legit was already like, this is where we were in this early draft thinking, okay, maybe if I prepped more, I might not have taken, I might have taken Kyle Tucker. But I'm sitting there going, Mookie Betts, reliable, we're good, yes. But I'm already having second thoughts right out the gate. But um, that's where I stood with my first pick. After that, it went Bryce Harper by Simeon, and then you had to pick at number 11. Yeah, I had to pick at number 11, and I was very pleased to have Garrett Cole fall to me there. You know, Garrett Cole in the drafts I've seen has gone anywhere, I think, from number as high as number three, I want to say, um, and, and as low as 11. But for me, I have to dive in a little bit deeper. But for me, he's my SP1 at this point in time. I know that he struggled towards the end of the season. He really struggles against the Red Sox. I mean, let's be honest, like that's kind of been his his uh, his Achilles heel uh, for during his time with the Yankees, which is unfortunate given they play the Red Sox quite a few times. But when you look at Garrett Cole, you know, if you look at the underlying skills, so over his last 10 games, you know, his in-zone contact rate was at 78%, which is elite. That's the same as his three-year average. So very, very good. Um, his O-swing was at 35%, which again is right at his three-year average. If you look at his strikeout rate, it was at 32.2%, slightly below his, his three-year average, but again, an elite number. You look at his swinging strike rate, it was at 15%, right in line with his three-year average. And then his walk rate was down at 
So right in line with his three-year average, that's a 26% K minus walk rate. So the skills are there. Um, they're very similar to what they've been in the past and whether or not I, you know, in real draft. So just to give you a sense over his last 10 games, his BABIP was 348, which is the highest it's been over any three year period. You know, again, this was after, you know, the sticky stuff was gone, but the skills were the same. I'm not sure why the batted ball, um, skills would change all that much. Um, so really, you know, there was a lot of BABIP that was resulting in runners getting on base and, and runner scoring. Let's even, I'm going to just check his strand rate really quickly to see what it was at. And his strand rate was down at 70%, which again is right about his lowest mark in the last three years. So essentially he had the unluckiest three, 10, 10 game period in terms of BABIP and strand rate. All the other skills were the same. So I think you're drafting the same guy that was an elite pitcher this year, who's going to get you the volume, who's going to give you the strikeouts, who's on a good team and should get a decent amount of wins, especially if the Yankees make some changes and upgrades, you know, this year on, on that offense, which I think performed about as bad as, as it could have. You know, if you think about the, the various players on that team, Torres underperformed, LeMahieu underperformed, Sanchez, at least in the second half of the season, underperformed. You know, Judge maybe was the one guy who lived up to the hype and maybe Stanton as well. But just a lot of uh, struggles overall, I think. And so hopefully that, well, not hopefully because I don't like the Yankees, but I think they'll be a little bit better next year. And so I like Cole a lot right there in that spot, but I can see why people would go in other directions. I also wanted J-Ram, yeah. which apparently at 11 is not going to happen this year. No. So. No, I even did a on Monday night. I recorded the Toolshed podcast with uh, Chris Clegg and Eric Cross, and then um, Dave McDonald's and Baseball Pods. Chris was on there, so it was five of us did the first thirty picks. We just kept going, rotating through, and J Ram was very popular in that crew as well. So he's not going deep in this. Like people are realizing just how good he is. I think so. That ship has sailed. But I like the Garrett Cole call. Uh, the floor is great. You can't go wrong there. If you don't go ceiling, I can see arguments elsewhere. But floor tough to beat. After Cole, you had Freddie Freeman, Kyle Tucker went at thirteen. That stung a bit. That went to Paul Sporer, of all people. And then Corbin Burns and Cedric Mullins as J Justin Mason stays on brand and takes a set at round uh, the end of round one. Let's talk about that real quick, Toby. Um, yeah. I took him towards the end of round two in the mock draft I did Monday night. And I, I think I picked 26. I don't mind that because even on paper, even if he has a regression, which he probably, you know, he went 30-30. Like, let's be real. Probably has more like 20 to 25 homework power potentially. But the steals, he could probably still more for all we know. I think he at least brings like a 2020 floor potentially in there. Who knows? And that allows him to be a very high pick. I don't know if I can go first round though. How high would you be willing to go with Cedric Mullins? And I know you go pitching early, so it's probably not going to happen anyways. But if you were per se, how high would you go on Cedric Mullins? Yeah, I, I don't see any clear weaknesses in the profile. You know, um, the, the, one, um, the one projection that we do have you know, at least in fan graphs right now is, um, is depth charts. So, and I believe, I believe that's applying, you know, a combination of the zips and steamer projection, you know, and then accounting for playing time, but at 658 plate appearances, 261 batting average. So, you know, slightly above average, not necessarily elite, but then 20 home runs and 26 stolen bases. So, you know, I think the one area where maybe you could see a little bit of a drop off is the is the home runs. You know, the 30 home runs he did have 
a 15.5% home run per fly ball rate, which is much higher than his career average and also much higher than the league average, which is a little bit surprising to me. Although in the same sense, you know, he plays in Camden Yards. He had 39 barrels this year at an 8.1% barrels uh, per batted ball event, you know, and his max exit velo was around 110. So it's not like he doesn't have some power, you know, and, but I, I believe more in kind of the 20 home runs and, and then the stolen bases again, you know, he's 27. So I see no reason why he can't steal 25 again. So I would prefer to get him obviously where you got him end of the second round. Yeah. But I think there's no doubt that Mullins is, can be kind of a second round, third round guy next year. I mean, if you think about, you know, a kind of a similar profile would be Bo Bichette, maybe 100%, where you have yeah. the power, where you have the speed, maybe a little less batting average and not as potent of an offense, but the Orioles should get a little bit better. They're generally pretty young. Again, they play in a really good uh, home park. Uh, one of the best. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of good things that Cedric Mullins brings. And there was a very clear change in him, you know, ditching the the switch hitting and, and going strictly left-handed. So I, I don't mind the pick at all. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, get, I, yeah. I wouldn't get it there, but like, I do think he's gonna be really good. Yeah, I get yeah, That's kind of how I feels like, I think his floor is actually pretty solid, especially for a first round pick to cover your five categories, especially the way steals are so coveted for good reason and so on and so forth. So I, I think it's good in that regards. Not sure I can stomach the pick of the first round. I'm more mid second to later, as we talked about, but I get it. I think it'll be a fun debate to compare him to like uh, Lou Bob this year. I think it's going to get a lot of steam. Uh, so that'll be a fun one to see. Like, like Tucker's still going to have some things that go ahead of him, but there's some similarities there. But that's a tough comparison. I think Lou Bob's going to be a guy that's going to be kind of around his draft time. And as we saw to start round two, it went Scherzer, Lou Bob went second in the round, it went Bueller, Trout. And then you you did um you did Toby things with your second pick. <laughs> I did do Toby things. Um yeah, I drafted Zach Wheeler with my second pick right there. You know, Wheeler uh, I, I like Wheeler a lot. If you look at the projections, you know, depending on which projection system you stick in there, you know, Wheeler's a top 5 guy right now based on the projections. I think, you know, we do need to factor in the NLDH. That's going to go away, so you're probably going to see a little bit of a bump up in the ERA, as you will, with, you know, a lot of those NL pitchers. But Wheeler doesn't walk guys. You know, he's striking guys out. And you saw a bump, you know, 1.5% bump in his swinging strike rate. That K-minus walk rate went all the way up to 23.7%. You know, there's nothing that really you look at and kind of stands out as, oh, you know, there's huge regression coming here. His strand rate was right around his career average. His BABIP was right around his career average. You know, the in-zone contact rate was the best that it's been. His O-swing remained strong. He actually gave up fly, more fly balls this year, which I think is benef was beneficial, uh, honestly. Um, you know, the BABIP has been a little bit of an issue in the past, you know, 306 and 311 in his last two years. And so that that's, you know, that could be a really beneficial thing for him in terms of keeping runners off, off base because he doesn't walk guys. So even if he gives up a few more homers, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's a net positive for him. But the volume is key. I mean, 213 innings pitched. He's a workhorse. I think volume is really critical. The one thing I noticed towards the back end of last year was just the teams where I had guys that were just, that were volume and Ks. I mean, th those leagues, I was way out in front in Ks. 
And that is where I want to be in my leagues down the stretch, especially with pitching the way it is today. Yep. If you can get that lead in K's and wins, you know, not to mention the ratios, I think you can have a huge advantage because then you don't have to focus as much in saves early and they are available later. I mean, I was able to cobble together 40 to 60 saves on most teams, you know, even though I started out with basically zero. And so having those two guys front ending, especially in a draft and hold where I can't work the wire or stream pitchers, I feel pretty good about that start right there. I wouldn't mind having that start in any draft, I think, moving forward this year. Innings pitch is a thing I've been focused on quite a bit since the season ended because, like I said uh, on our last show, strikeouts got me big time. And that's one thing that uh, talking on other shows and just the people in general, even at this conference, that uh, obviously you look at innings pitch and it just makes sense. The more innings pitch, the more chances you have for strikeouts, so on and so forth. And um, that's been one focus on mine. Even on some of my picks I have coming up, it's just like they kind of got the boost based on the workload they had and what the workload could extend possibly to in 2022. And that kind of was like a tiebreaker in certain situations for me. So that'll be interesting to see how that continues to pan out as we keep going through draft season into February and March. Uh, after Wheeler, uh, Simeon took Woodruff, and then I, with my second pick, pick seven in round two, I went Ozzy Albies. So I was trying a new thing. I like, Usually I try to get a pitcher kind of early, but I waited a couple of rounds. I went Ozzy Albies for the fact that, again, similar to strikeouts and pitching, stolen bases are the thing that – is not it, you can accumulate it, but not as easy as you think, especially in a draft and hold. It can be a little different unless you just go with a bunch of guys late that you try to plug in and gain some steals, and that can get dicey at times, as we've talked about. So, you know, matching up, uh, I already have Mookie bets, so I'm hoping for like 15 something steals, 10 to 15 at least, if not more. Now you got Ozzy Abbey's coming off 30 home runs, 20 stolen bases, a 259 average, 103 runs, 106 RBIs. He pretty much did it all. One of the best second base performances you've seen in a long, long time. And it's not a fluke. He's 24 home runs in his previous two full seasons, 14 plus stolen bases in both of those, hit for 260 and 295. So he's, you know, we know what we're getting with Ozzy. He's a pretty decent average. All, the protections have him at 273, but the power and the speed is legit. And that's something that's going to continue to be there, hitting in a very good Braves order. You got Riley, you got Freeman, you got Acuna, should be back, at least, you know, if not right out of the gate pretty early in the season. Very, very good lineup around him. He's still super young at a second base position that is deeper this year than it is, has been in years past with guys like Trey Turner and Marcus Simeon gaining second-base eligibility with some other big-time second-base talents. What Ozzy always continues to do just in his overall profile, just continues to grow. Like his, his best max EV season this past year, uh, his, his best barrel rate this past year, his hard hit rate was the best it's been. Uh, even the X stats say, you know, he might have overachieved a little bit, but not a ton. Like he's still playing pretty good baseball. And his uh, strikeout rate, only a 17.8%. No, that's his 18.7%. Massive drop from the small 2020 season. I love Ozzy, obviously. There's a lot to like for, about him. Some might not take him this early. Some might take him earlier, as I found out in some other conversations. But uh, I like the, the the home run, the power speed combo as my second baseman. So I was Ozzy Albies. Um, yeah, and, after, and the one thing I'll say, too, I love that pick as well. And I think there's upside. You mentioned lowest batting average that he's had in any any season during his career. So there's also average upside there to add to this just phenomenal five category profile or four other category profile that he has. And he could be an interesting one similar to said Mullins because Albies crushes left-handed pitching, like destroys it. And I'm not saying he should just bat right-handed. That could be an interesting experiment. That's all I'm saying. Like if you really look at it, I know righty righty is different than righty lefty. So maybe that's could be it, but he's doing something from the right side of the plate. So 
I'm wondering if that's something he thinks about someday and really could take advantage of. And that could just take it to a whole other level, potentially. And that could be wild. Um, after that, we go Machado, DeGrom, Devers, and then blah, blah, blah to keep ending out the round. Going to round three, my first pick at 3.7. You know, Logan Webb went this round early on. You got Jordan Alvarez, Whit Merrifield, to name a few. We saw um, Liam Hendricks, closer, goes off the board with the second pick of round three. That'll be a conversation because then the next closer went right before me, uh, or a couple picks before me and Josh Hader. But uh, my set, my third pick, with my trend of getting steals, this one might be a little goofy, but I was shocked he was there. Like, I looked over at Simeon. Oh, it was like, beautiful, Bubba. I, was I, looked beautiful. Over, I looked at Simeon because, again, like I told you at the beginning, we just had these papers in front of us, and we're all kind of just like hoping we get things right. There's a guy walking around with a tablet from NFBC, like going through it all. And I go, is he really still on the port? Like, I don't have him crossed off. It's like, yeah, he's there. I'm like, huh. I took Starling Marte with my Love third it. pick of the draft. I know he's getting older. I know the power kind of disappeared last year. He's a free agent, so who knows where he lands. The speed's legit. I think the power comes back a little better next year. Maybe not, but who knows? I wasn't drafting him for the power. I was drafting him for the immense stolen base talents, the run scoring ability. You'd imagine he would hope he goes to a contending team with a good lineup around him. You could hope. But just the fact he fell to the middle of round three at pick 3.9, I scooped that up in a hurry because now with Betts, Albies, and Marte, I could pretty much not worry about stolen bases if I didn't want to. Obviously, I have to still because there's no – fab and if one of those guys gets hurt i need to have backups to uh fill in some stolen bases but it definitely took the pressure off of me to focus on stolen bases so strongly Marte is my third pick and um another thing we've talked about on this show when i talked to, to uh, rob DiPietro, who obviously won a a overall draft and hold he kept plugging into my head you need a ton of outfielders because that's a position you have to obviously start five so if guys start getting hurt you need to have more backups than you'd have at like first base per se at that kind of situation. It makes sense if you start breaking it down. So uh, Betts, Albies, Marte is my start. And uh, usually I would have starting pitching by them, but A, Marte fell, and B, there's still a lot of pitching out there. So I kind of just passed on that at that point in time. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty happy with that. Um, I, I wanted Marte. I was like, if Marte falls to me here, this is a dream. This is like yeah. a dream start, but I didn't quite quite get there. So I was I was shocked. That's all I have to say. Um <laughs> After that, Tim Anderson went to Simeone, and then you you uh, you surprised some people. And looking at this board now, when we get to your next pick, uh, that that color needs to be changed. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I went with Sal Perez here, and I didn't want necessarily want to. This was not necessarily the plan, but maybe it's one of those situations where, when you're in a situation where maybe there's a little uncertainty, you kind of fall back on old habits, you know, or you fall back on what's what is most comfortable, and so. I went with Sal Perez and the thing about Salvi is I believe it. I believe it. I mean, I don't necessarily believe in 48 home runs every single year. Right. But here's a catcher who plays every single day. He plays every single day that he's healthy. And even when he's not, I mean, down the stretch, he was battered up. There was a couple games he left early because of injuries and, you know, he kept on battling and he plays every day. He loves to play the game. He hits the ball. He hits the ball hard. The max exit velocity. He crushes it. I mean, he's just an absolutely incredible player. And especially, I mean, even towards the back end of the last year, I mean, he started walking a little bit. You know, he was being a little bit more selective. So I love everything about Sal Perez. And especially in a draft and hold where you can't stream you know, you can't you can't stream your catchers, right? You're stuck with these guys, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna draft 
you know, well, I'll draft another catcher very shortly after this as everybody will find out. But after that, I'm going to add maybe one or two catchers the entire draft, right? And probably much later on in the draft. And I don't want to be relying on those guys having to start if one of my guys, you know, gets um, or, or you're starting one of those guys that is kind of back end and taking a shot on one of those guys, because if it, if it falls through, it just doesn't work that much. And I think the major thing that I take away from this spot too, was there just wasn't a lot of good stolen bases available. Honestly, um, you know, I was going to take probably Tim Anderson if he had fallen there, but Simeon took him. I wanted to get, I wanted to grab Marte, but if you look at, let's see, let's see if I'm actually right though. So afterwards, so Trevor Story did go afterwards. So there's some potential stolen bases, but again, he's leaving cores. He was a little bit injured this year. You know, not not a huge fan of that. But after that, for hitters, it's Castellanos and Lindor and Jimenez and Abreu. And I'm trying to read these. And Matt Olson yeah. and Aaron Judge. You know, and so there wasn't as many stolen bases, at least in a profile that at that point in the draft, I felt, was kind of like a, a good, um, a good kind of opportunity cost proposition, I guess. So that's why I went with Salvi. I feel good Sal- about it. Yeah, Salvi's legit. And like we've talked about many times, he's going to get his at bats. He's going to DH, and there might be a few more catchers that get that DH luxury uh, next year, hopefully. But we know Salvi does, so that's a beautiful thing. Uh, you mentioned the story went, and then it was Giovanni Gallegos in the third round to Boss Four. He might set the highest ADP of the entire draft season. On that one, we'll see. But uh, closers were fine off the, the the board. We'll they talk were. about that probably for big time at the end, but at least throughout this recap. And then you have Gilito, uh, Castellanos, uh, Rysel Iglesias went to start round four, Lindor, Jimenez, uh, Presley. So he's like the sixth closer already up. This is why, I, as you see my team get built, I just don't have closers because they just they kept flying and I just wasn't paying the price. But here you come with your fourth pick in the draft, 4.5. And um, this was like you had the whole draft room giggling and just like, this is amazing. Like just pure laughing, like just wow, this happened. And it makes so much sense because it's, it's Toby G. So who was your fourth pick? Yeah, I went with Justin Tyler Real Muto. And that's, uh, JT how, he, Real that's, how, Muto. He, that's how he announced it too, by the way, people. Yeah, people were like <laughs> confused when I did it. First. I was like, Justin Tyler. And they're like, what is happening right now? Uh, I had to look up what his his actual name was <laughs> on Google before I did that. But yeah, I mean, Real Muto, in a lot of ways, it was a stolen base play, you know? Uh, yep. And I think about it later. I mean, I think there's decent depth at the catcher position this year. And I do like Dalton Varsho, who's going kind of later, who has a relatively similar profile. But with JTR, I think one thing to consider as well is we're probably moving to the NLDH. And as we saw in the shortened season, when the Phillies move to the NLDH, you know, they'll have Real Muto as catcher. They'll give him days off in the DH role. Um, And he can also play some first base, as we saw towards the back end of last season. I think he is going to have dual position eligibility, although that's not that important, right? Because you're going to start him at catcher at something. But, you know, in an off year, he hit like 260. You know, I think he had like 65 runs and 70-something RBIs, 13 stolen bases, it's all around solid production. And I think there's more there. He was beat up from the beginning of the season. If you'll remember, he missed a lot of spring training um, with a hand injury or something like that, I think. So, you know, I, I expect kind of a bounce back next year. And I'm interested to see, you know, I thought there would be a discount on JTR, honestly. Like I thought he'd be going around at ADP of like maybe 80 or something. But in all the drafts that I've seen, he's been going in the fourth round, which seems 
you know, like a very logical thing. So I was pleased to get those two, you know, your major concern when you go catchers this early on is a lack of speed and certainly having maybe projected 13 stolen bases at this point in the draft. I'm not feeling great about that, but I did it and I had to figure out later on in the draft how to make that up a little bit, especially because I know that I also wanted to add some, some starting pitching and some closers uh, early on in the draft as well. So. Yeah, but like you said, you locked up your catchers pretty much. We don't have to like focus on going crazy. And like I said, the colors need to change because JTR is bl- purple because he's got first base eligibility. If you really want to get, you can go three catchers deep at one at any one time, Toby. So you got yeah, that. Cool. You can go right. full house. So you actually you in a roundabout way did a full house, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the next pick is the guy I was going to take is Lance Lynn. Semyon took Lance Lynn. I was looking at him to be my SP1 in round four. I was over the moon with it, again, showing to me how deep the, the pitching landscape was getting. Uh, and the reason I, t- I wanted Lancelin over the guy I did take is I just trust the floor of innings Lancelin can bring. Like, he is a horse and just goes out there, innings, innings, six-plus innings, pretty much every start. Quality starts more often than not. And he's done it year after year, at least for a few years now. So I, I kind of can believe it. Simeon took him. So I took a guy that I, I foresaw going in the first two rounds, maybe three at the at the latest in every draft this year is what I figured. But he fell to me at 4.7. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I just I can't pass this up now. And that's Robert Ray. He's my SP1 in uh, my pick in round four, 193 innings this last year, likely Cy Young winner. Things were great. And we've talked about it, and everyone's talked about it. The thing with Robbie Ray is, is the walks. Because if you look at the strikeout rates – Look back to 18 and 19, two full seasons, 31.4, 31.5. He was 32.1 this year. Um, but 13.3% walk rate, 11.2% walk rate, down to 6.9 this year. That's why the bad average against was 209 compared to 215, 228, which still is not horrible. But it's just the walks because now when he gives up a big hit, it just blows the whole thing up. And that's the biggest thing. Now, will there be some regression? Sure. He can't be this good this long, you don't think. But... We'll wait and see because the strikeouts have always been there for Robbie Ray is what I'm trying to point out in that. It's almost always been a walk issue. That's always been the discussion point when it comes to Robbie Ray. He's going to be a free agent this year. So where does he land? This could come back to bite me in a big way. I'm really hoping that Toronto looks at him and goes, dude, you just want to start young. We're almost in the playoffs. We could really use you here. Like If they can make something work out here, he's going to be 31 years old. The humidor in Toronto would be amazing. Still has those AL East ballparks, but he navigated that pretty well. So we'll wait and see where Robbie Ray ends up. But with the strikeouts that he gives, the innings, because he's 174 innings in 2019, 123 and kind of an up and down 2018 with a 162, 174, the innings floor is there. So I love the innings, love the strikeouts, two things I've talked about plenty and will continue to this entire offseason. Those are going to be there with Robbie Ray. Uh, the death the landing spot will be interesting, but the fact he fell to the middle of round four, basically, I kind of had to run away with that one and be like, okay, I will definitely take you in round four and be okay with that. Um, after I, love, that, I mean, that was a great pick. I mean, I, I was amazed he was there. Was and that's shocked. one of the things that I mentioned about, like, not necessarily wanting to go pocket aces is, I mean, if I would have known that Robbie Ray was going to be there, right, I would have gone in a different direction. But I don't think he'll be there in most drafts, but no. I think that's a great a great pick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I figure he's a second-round pick, if not at best, like, early third. Like, he's going to be going places. I was shocked. So we'll see how that keeps, the, keeps playing. Like, Logan Webb went – way earlier than him and i love logan webb but i will take robbie ray over logan webb every single time i'll take robbie red over robbie ray over freddie peralta um i guess it, it but that's me so we'll, we'll have to see how that one plays out 
But uh, after Ray, it went uh, Abreu, Olsen, Bieber off the board. That could be an interesting steal if he comes back healthy. That could be really solid for uh, Team 6 on that one. You had Emmanuel Classe, another closer. But Freed going late fourth is outstanding. You got Gossman going there. Judge O'Neill, Like, O'Neal would have been like your first stolen base guy you could have gone with. I understand not taking him, though, because I'm so torn on Tyler O'Neill. Like, he, I, to me, he totally outperformed. He's a very good ball player, totally outperformed things this year. So, we'll have to wait and see. Goes, yeah, and I, yeah, I actually, when I saw that pick go up, I think it was Dave McDonald who made that yep. pick. I was kind of like, that, that's a direction that I could have gone. Yep. And I wouldn't necessarily mind it because I know there's big swing and miss and all that jazz, but there's also real big batted ball quality Ooh. and there's real big speed on a team that's going to let him steal. And so I got no problem with Tyler O'Neill that early. I think he's going to be a, I think he's going to be a really good fantasy player for a long time. I think he gets pushed up more in March. Like he goes yeah. earlier. Because it, it's the average is the only concern, but the power speed is going to be there. He's in the middle of, in the order. He, he's good to go. Like if you look at a Statcast page, and they talked about him a lot on the um, the hitter panel, and I was like searching stuff while they were talking about him. And things check out. That's all I got to say. So I'll have to wait and see there. But then it went I, to uh, yeah. I mean, he went he went thirty four fifteen in five hundred and sixty seven plate appearances. Right. Yeah. So he wasn't even healthy the full season. Yeah, and so like I don't know how like last two months of the year, it felt like, <laughs> it's crazy. yeah, I mean, you know, and this isn't to criticize any specific pick, but like, you know, I don't know how you go Matt Olson over him, or I don't know how you go even Aaron judge over him, honestly, yeah. because yeah, there's a little bit more track record, but there's also other concerns like injury wise, you know, with judge for instance, and those 15 stolen bases, they could be 20. I mean, he could yeah. be a 40-20, legit 40-20 guy. Um, and he's still, what is he? He's 26. So there's still growth there, potentially. Yeah, when um, they were talking about him on the panel, that's what got me kind of digging in on him some more because I, I was just curious. Uh, it was something I was going to do anyways. Like, what was like this compared to previous seasons, especially StatCast-wise? Because it's always been the deal with Tyler O'Neill. It's like, he hits the ball very hard. He does this. Like, okay, that's great. Like, we know guys like Matt Olson. It's the ball hard, sure. We've also seen him hit 200 and just, like, totally choke it away for you. But they kept talking about his speed, his speed, his speed, his speed. So, okay, let me check out this speed. And if you go on Savant, like, they have the percentile rankings. And, like, in 2020, he, he had a rough year, just period, like, everything. In 2021, he's read across the board pretty much, except for K percentage, walk percentage, whiffs. One thing that's been sustainable his entire career, 97th, 98th, 99th, 98th percentile in speed in all four seasons he's been in baseball. The dude is fast, and he's not losing. Like, you look at certain pages, I can't remember who I was looking at earlier on that same day. I started looking at some different guys that were steals, but kind of losing steals. And they were at one time like 98th, and I was like 88. And then they were blue and like 50% after like the fifth year. So, so a lot of guys regress. Tyler O'Neill is literally just fast. <laughs> so that's one thing about him is if worse comes to worst, say the bad average regresses, he still probably hits you 25 homers. He probably still hits you, steals you 20 bags. Like he's still going to be pretty darn solid, like you said. So I, I agree with you. And that's why I think he goes he goes higher in drafts yeah. as we continue to go. So Riley, Flaherty, yeah. Goldie. I mean, I mean a good there. comp, right, is, is Robert. Big time, um, yeah. Or, or Lewis Robert, right? Heck. Like there's not a lot different between those two profiles let's let's go back like we, this is only um this is october still and obviously we'll have a lot of discussions to be had a fun one to bookmark could be let's look at the 2022 numbers for cedric mullins and tyler o'neill i could see tyler o'neill outperforming cedric mullins to be honest with you yeah 
and that's gonna totally. be that's one of those. It's like if, if you don't feel comfortable taking Mullins early, but you're getting your player pool lined out, goes circle. Like I want to try to get O'Neill in round three instead of Mullins in round one or two, and try to get the same similar profile with potential upside. So it's an angle, long ways to go till that that happens. But something to start keeping in the back of your mind is your. That's what. That's why I wanted to talk about this draft is we can kind of start seeing things play out and it'll obviously change. But it's interesting to start getting your mind working towards 2022. Yeah, and, and not to belabor Tyler O'Neill here, uh, but one thing I noticed just in looking at his rolling average graphs is the plate discipline has improved dramatically because I think we still have 2019 kind of in our, in our heads and before that and when he struggled. But, man, the plate discipline has been on a on a downward trajectory in terms of his O-swing yep. now for a full season, essentially. And so he's swinging at pitches inside the zone. So even if the contact isn't great, even if he maintains that 75%, but he is swinging more and more at pitches inside the zone. Yep. Then that's great. I mean, that's 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 a profile, right? That's Bryce Harper essentially. And it makes sense because you look at like his ground ball rate dropped, but his fly ball and his line drive went up because he's he's hitting swinging at better pitches in theory, mm-hmm. as you're saying in the zone. So that's a plus. Like that's that's what I was looking at. I'm sitting there going, okay, so how this change? How this change? A lot of it, for the most part, was kind of within range of each other. But it was like the, the where he was targeting his damage, like you said, basically in a roundabout way, that was impressive. So he's he's developing as a hitter. As he's still super young. So oh, I like these 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 going down rabbit holes on guys. So like literally, if we only do like seven rounds today, I don't mind coming back and doing yeah, later we can come back next week because this sure. is kind of fun, kind of talking about different players that kind of stand out. So I got no problem yeah. skip, skipping around for that. And one thing to remember too is I think of all the divisions in baseball next year. I think the NL Central is going to be the worst. Oh yeah. I mean, you Pirates just think about you just think about the Pirates and Cubs, just those two teams, the pitching staffs that they're going to throw out there. It's going to be rough. You know, the Reds, obviously, you know, the pitching staff is pretty good, but it's still a really good hitters ballpark. I mean, the Cardinals pitching staff will not be that great either. You know, they do have the benefit of the ballpark. The Brewers will obviously be really, really good you know, pitching wise, but it's just, you know, of all the, of all the divisions that I think about, you know, I think that's the one where the most teams are still either behind or taking a step back. Whereas in the AL central, you know, yeah, there's not going to be that great of teams, but you're going to have the white Sox. I think the tigers are going to be much improved. Um, you know, the twins, I think had a rough year just in general, but I think they have the pieces there, you know, especially with some of the rookies, you know, like Kirloff, if he's healthy and he can play next year, Buxton, if he can stay healthy, a big if, obviously, you know, um, the Guardians, Cleveland, you know, they may struggle, you know, offensively. So I still think the Central are the worst divisions, probably. But um, I think the NL Central is definitely one where I'll be looking at picking up some starting pitchers, although my team that you're looking at now will not factor that in because I haven't. Those are the types of things, right, that later on in drafts, you're able to take in all those considerations as you make decisions on players. And we just didn't necessarily have that that option right now. Well, yeah, and just the little thing, even going back to Tyler O'Neill again, is the comments that just thinking through this with you. It's like, okay, well, maybe Starling Marte is getting older. And obviously, I, I probably still have taken him 100 times out of 100 times there. But what if I say screw it and I go and get, you know, my boy Giolito or some, or I take, or I take Robbie Ray right there. And then I go get Tyler O'Neill in round four. Or I take Tyler O'Neill in round three instead of Starling Marte. Like those are little things that can be interesting to dive into some more inside of uh, make or break situations as we as we get going there. But uh, round five. And and the projections love Tyler O'Neill as well. They love it. 
round five, we got Austin Riley, who I think is going to be an interesting uh, talking point all season long because the dude's legit, but still some holes in that swing. But you got Flaherty, um, Goldie, Springer, um, Frankie Montas in the middle of round five. That's just Luis Castillo. Uh, then another closer in Edwin Diaz. We got um, uh, J.D. Martinez. And then I went with another outfielder. This one I wasn't 100% on, but I kept looking at how much pitching was out there. I'm like, okay, well, I'll get another power speed guy that at least chip away at the steals. And all in all, the season started out very, very slow for Randy Rosarena. Like a lot of people kind of early victory lap and why'd you take him so early to people and this, that, and the other. Well, if you just believe in the back of the baseball card, he finished at 274 with 20 homers, 20 stolen bases, 94 runs at 89 RBIs. Like still put together a pretty solid season. Uh, grabbing him around five now is is intriguing. The strikeout rate is still very, very high at 28%, but the walk rate grew a bit too, which was nice. But he's still hitting the ball hard. Uh, barrel rate at 8.2% is not too bad. 42% hard hit rate. He way outperformed his X stats, though. I'm going to say that much. Way outperformed his X stats. So that'll be something to keep in mind. But I'm also taking him in round five instead of what, like round two, maybe three last year. So he kind of fell a bit, which was nice to me. And even if the certain stats drop, I still think the homers and steals will be legit. So I'm going Randy Rosarena just because I, I had it in my head and maybe I overthought things. I want to make sure I really lock up outfield. I want to lock up my outfield because that was one of my biggest things in my like NFBC 50s, my drafts and holds that I was doing. Outfield, really, if you start getting a couple of guys injured, I was having like Luis Arias playing the outfield. I was having... Um, Sometimes Jeff McNeil, and we know how bad that was. Uh, it was it was rough at times to fill out your outfield. And I want to be able to, at least healthy, have these guys that are studs that I don't have to worry about. And then later in the draft, I can go get a Luis Arias to play him at second base or to play him at middle infielder, where I feel a lot better mentally putting them in that position. Like in reality, I guess it shouldn't matter, but it fits out better for me in my head to do stupid things like that. But yeah, Rosarena is my fifth pick in the draft. Nice. Um, Jordan Romano, a closer for um, another closer. I just see so many of them. But then you took one here, and like I don't blame you because they're flying. And when we go through the closers I got, it might be three podcasts from now, but they're down there. Um, I don't blame you for, for your pick. So who was your fifth pick? Yeah, so I wanted a closer. I mean, it, when I went into the third round, I was thinking if Hendricks falls to me or Hader falls to me in the third round, um, then I will I will go that direction. Um but it didn't happen. And so I knew I wanted to get a closer. They were flying off the board quickly. I did w- want to get Romano. And so um, Simeone grabbed him right before me. And I grabbed Kenley Jansen. And, you know, yes, he's going to be a free agent, but I don't think there's any way he doesn't resign with the Dodgers. I mean, if you think about it, you know, so far he's been lights out during this postseason. He was lights out this year. I mean, he was incredibly good at 222 ERA, a 104 whip, 86 strikeouts in 69 innings, 38 saves you know um the k minus walk was down a little bit to 18 percent, but the swinging strike rate was still there lucky with the babbit for sure you know but he doesn't give up home runs i think the walk rate will fall back down it was a little bit too high so that'll compensate a little bit for the babbit so i mean i just love everything and i think he resigns with the dodgers there's no reason why he doesn't sign like a two-year you know 40 million dollar contract with them right they have the money they have a sure thing with him. He's a lifelong, generally a lifelong Dodger. I think he was traded early on in his career, but like there's no reason that doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't see. Um, and so I think he signs there and that's the best place to be a closer in baseball. So yeah. I'll take, I'll take him here and 
and with the, you know, what, whatever the chance is, 15%, 10% that he signs elsewhere and isn't the closer. I just can't see that happening, no. you know, for the life of me. So um, I, I think it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, he's like the ninth or 10th closer taken on this draft. That's outstanding. I remember I drafted him last year and people thought it was crazy. And early in the season, people had their, their reasons, but he's the dude. He's still so good. Like you mentioned, what he's doing in the postseason right now. I think he struck out 12 guys in 17 plate appearances or something. Like he's, he's ridiculous, which it, it's just great to see. And I'm 100% with you. Like we were at the Greg Jewett and Doug Dennis uh, relief pitcher closers. A uh, little talk before lunch, before the draft. That was the last kind of session. And we we're all sitting around the table. And Jansen came up because it's mainly just a QA for the most part. And Jansen came up because people are worried about, you know, he's a free agent. Do we go get Blake Trinan? Do we get Corey Knable? Things like that. And a lot of us were pretty much on the same page, like you just said, is he's going to be a Dodger, guys. He's going to take a team friendly deal. This is what they do. Like Kershaw did it. Jansen's already kind of done it the first time. Like he got the like two or three year deal. It was pretty friendly. Um, He's older. He knows like this is the place for him. They're going to let him close at least probably 70% of the games, which he did this year, it felt like, and still had a great year because it is the Dodgers where we're in 100-plus games again next year. So, yeah, Jansen's fine. People that talk down on Jansen just blow me away. Like, could anything happen? Sure. But, like, I'd say 9 out of 10 times, pretty safe, pretty solid pick. So, um, no problem with that at all. Stanton and then Alberto Mondesi. Goes here in round five, Toby. Um, he's a guy that I just can't bring myself to take. Yes, if he's healthy, we know the stories behind him. He can't stay healthy. They won't guarantee he can platoon. He's only got third base eligibility to start off the season. So where do you stand that about the Montessi, who we know, if he plays every day, has just insane talents. We're just not seeing it these days. Yeah, I mean, going here at this point in the draft, I mean, I would have no problem grabbing him in a regular draft, honestly. Uh, the injury concerns are major, but I mean, you get half cost, a, you yeah. get half a season out of him. I mean, look at what he did. He had 136 plate appearances, six home runs, 15 stolen bases. That's pretty crazy. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable production. You get half a season of that, right? So you multiply that by two. You're talking about getting 30 stolen bases and 12 home runs, 38 runs. 34 uh, RBI in half a season. And then he's on the IL and you replace him with somebody who hits for power. And all of a sudden you have a 30, 30 guy on your team from the fifth, from the fifth round draft slot. So these are the types of things I think that happen in these later drafts. And obviously I think he's going to fall to later in drafts this year for sure. Um, I think there's no doubt about that, but you know, fifth round, it's a, it's a, win-win proposition. And I think the third third base eligibility is a huge boon. I mean, third base is shallow this year. You're not going to, you're going to barely going to get any stolen bases from that position, generally speaking. So I really think it's a, it's a really great pick right there. So I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. For every reason that we love J Ram at third base, Mondesi could be that dude, if not better. So that's uh, that is pretty crazy to see at least close to that guy. And I think I think it's even better in a draft and hold to take Montessi because you don't have to sit there and debate dropping him or something the whole time. Just put him on your bench. You have no choice. And then you bring him back when you don't have to spend fab to get him back type thing. Like he's on your team regardless. You know, make sure you have another third base, but maybe a little sooner than you normally would. You don't have to force it, but it makes it interesting. So he'll be a fun one to debate. And yeah, because he's healthy. The dude's like a second round, first round talent. Like we saw last year, I think he was like he broke stream steamer if he was healthy. So. Uh, we'll have to see how that one plays out. Chris Sale coming off the board. I kind of like that at that point in the draft, too. You got Will Smith. 
and then coming back in round six, we'll do round six and we'll, we'll call it a day Sounds on this good. one. Uh, we got Musgrove, um, Aroldis Chapman, another close. Like I'm telling you, like the way Toby said, like I was looking to take, you know, Hendricks in round three. Every time after my pick, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take one of these closers, and then boom, boom, I'm gone. So I'm like, well, I'm not gonna force my hand on the next guy, and then I'm like, okay, I'll make my pick, and then I'll take one of these closers, boom, boom, gone. I might have, I probably should just force my hand, is what it came down to, but it was, it was crazy. Uh, Correa Barrios, and then you are on the clock. Who was your six round pick? Yeah, I ended up going with um, Jazz Chisholm. Love that. Um, yeah, I, you know, Chisholm had a great year last year. He's obviously a young dude. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at his 40 game rolling average. Um, you know, he had a great year last year. There's obviously some batting average issues, you know, or potential issues with Chisholm. But in 507 plate appearances, he hit 18 home runs. He stole 23 bases. You know, the counting stats were there as well. We talk about how, you know, we have concerns about his overall, you know, kind of profile. But when you take a look, you know, it's actually not that bad. Like he's known as a free swinger. His O swing is 32.5% throughout his career, you know, so slightly worse than league average. And then we also think of him as just kind of a wild swinger who doesn't make a lot of contact, but that's also not really true. He's slightly below average in terms of his in-zone contact. He's slightly below average in his overall contact. And then I think because of the speed and the batted ball quality that he makes, he's always going to have above league average BABIP as well. And so I think you're looking at a, a perennial 2020 guy with the possibility of, you know, uh, a 2030 season, you know, potentially, especially if the Marlins lineup can improve, you know, just slightly this year. But the stack cast metrics, 112 max exit velo. He had 28 barrels, 86 or 8.6% barrel rate. So, you know, better than league average as well there. So for a guy who has speed, who's hitting at the top of the lineup, you know, um, I, I think he's a, uh, well, he's, he's just lefty, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like to pick a lot. He play has second, he has shortstop multi-positional eligibility. I just think at this spot in the draft, if he plays to what he did last year, he's still solid. If he gets a full season in and he plays with what he's capable of, you're talking about a guy who can return you second second round value. So I like that a lot, especially on a team that really needed stolen bases pretty badly. Yeah, it's a great pick for what you said, especially needing stolen bases. I almost took him instead of Rosarena, but I drilled in my stupid head. I want outfielders. That was what I kept telling myself. And um, I, I love Chapman. I, I took him, uh, not Chapman, Chisholm. I took him in um, a previous mock draft or whatever we were doing a couple weeks ago, not the one on Monday night. I, I, I'm a huge fan. And what I compare him to is um, if he does, like you said, perform to his abilities that we think he can, he's a Boba Shet light. Like he's got that potential. I really believe he does. Maybe not average per se as much, but the power speed he brings to the table, I'm 100% on board. He could be look like kind of mirroring a potential Bichette type thing. Like I'm a big Chisholm fan, so I love that pick. That's a guy, as we keep getting ready for draft season, I'm going to make a point to kind of like a Tyler O'Neill with the Chisholm. Highlight it on my list to be like, okay, this is a guy I need to try to make a point to get. Like how far do I have to reach to not be crazy reaching to get this guy? They're going to be on my guy list, hopefully, type thing. All right. Uh, after Chisholm went off the board, um, Charlie Morton went. That was an intriguing one, and it dropped my SP2 to me, and – I was surprised, but again, pitching is deep. But uh, Dylan Cease is a guy I'm going to go to, and it's a, a combination of things. Is he took a big step forward this year, 
during the pitching panel, I was just going over different leaderboards and he kept kind of showing up on things and showing up on things. I'm like, okay, well, because there were certain times I'm like, this this isn't true, whatever. Near 32% K rate, 9.6% walk rate, 22.3% K to walk rate was one of the best in baseball this year. That's where he stood out on that list because not as many guys as you think were over 20% K to walk. And he was 22.3, so that was outstanding. Uh, He still threw for over 160 innings which was great to see. So hopefully you can take that next step in a very, very good White Sox rotation that we, we know can uh, produce some good things, plus have a good offense behind him. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of Dylan Cease. He continues to develop. He's got the prospect pedigree that we hoped he could be. So in round six as my SP2, getting a guy like Dylan Cease for, again, strikeout upside, massive potential innings, eating upside. Um, Cease is a guy that I don't see going this late in drafts uh, come March. But I will gladly take him as an SP2 in round six. So I was pretty, pretty pumped on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that's the major difference that I noticed between this draft and some of the other ones that I saw is there was no there wasn't a lot of value for starting pitching. I mean, I think where Cease and Montas and other guys like that were going before, like around pick 100, was way too late. I mean, these guys are legit. I mean, what you said about Cease. I think Cease is fantastic. If you look at what he did in the second half as well, mm-hmm. over his last 10 games, he had an 80% in-zone contact rate, so really good, more than 5% or 5% below league average. His strikeout rate was 36%. Yep. His walk rate was at 10%. So he still walks a decent number of guys, but I'll take a 26% K-minus walk rate um, out of a guy that I'm getting, especially where you got him in the draft. The O swing at 33%, really strong there. The swinging strike rate at about 15% as well. Uh, I think there's no reason. I mean, I think Cease here is is fantastic. I wouldn't be surprised if he's going in the fourth round, yep. maybe even the third round yeah, as we get closer to, um, yeah. to, to, those, to those bigger drafts. I think once more pieces get written about his season where people realize just how good he was, I think it's going to be interesting because I mentioned his, t- his season long, 22.3% K to walk. That's 10th best in baseball. There's, and I said not many go over 20. There's only 16 guys in baseball that were over 20% K to walk. And um, that might not stand out to a lot of people, but if you want to go back, I keep, I'm going to be a broken record. You're going to hate me. Strikeout, strikeout, strikeouts. This is a big thing. So, like, you, you look at the names on this leaderboard, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Check, check, check. Okay. Um, yeah, Dylan Cease is, is, is amazing. So, a big fan of his. I know I will never get him in round six probably ever again. So I'll enjoy it while I can. Uh, rounding out round six, you had Cruz, Bellinger. Uh, I cannot remember. Oh, Polanco, um, Pete Alonzo, Nolan Arenado, Alec Manoa. That's an interesting but That's probably close to about right for him. Uh, Seager, and, which is funny because in the piece of paper we had, he went like in round two. But round six here, which is much more appropriate to me. And then Jose Altuve, I thought was a heck of like. I'll give we gave Dave McDonald a lot of joke. We joked with Dave McDonald a lot because he had the turn and he clocked out. Like he gets two two clocks basically back to back. He clocked out in the first clock every time. Just like clocked out. And so we were razzing him, but he made some really good picks. I'll give him that much. So anything else to round out round six that stood out to you? Like I said, we'll come back and keep going on this draft uh, in the coming weeks. No, I don't think so. Um, I think we covered a lot of it, but a really interesting draft, really sharp group of drafters, I thought. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, a lot of the draft went as I thought it should, as opposed to how I thought it would, uh, which was a little disappointing because, you know, those guys like Cease, who you grabbed, I was hoping that maybe I could get him coming around the next round, just based on the other drafts that I had seen. But 
as per usual, you know, draft the guys that you, you want or that you need, uh, get your guys. And, you know, as the drafts become closer to March and as they become a little bit more, you know, meaningful, because obviously this is a meaningful draft, but we weren't necessarily able to prep that much. And, you know, it's not a, a draft for money. Like the winner gets a subscription to baseball HQ, which is a fantastic prize, but you know, it, it isn't, uh, it isn't like a high stakes draft. Um, as some of the ones that we will be doing will be later on. Yeah, we we were a hundred percent doing this to kind of get our feet wet mm-hmm. and see where the things stand. Talk about it like this, kind of get our brains going in, in the direction, and it's doing that very well. So, and it was fun to get back in a room like with just a lot of sharp, sharp people. Like I said, not even just the analysts, a lot of sharp, sharp people across the board. There were not a ton of like hmm, interesting picks. Like they, they all kind of made sense. So it, it was good to see. Got a couple of listener questions, and then we'll head on out of here for the night. Michael Simeone, Mr. SP Streamer himself, who was sandwiched between the two of us, and I got to sit next to him, so that's a key part in this question, as you guys will find yes, out. for sure. Um, what's one lesson you learned coming out of this draft, besides the fact, this is to you, Toby, that you were sitting behind two of the best-looking men in the draft room? For sure. I mean, that was certainly difficult and distracting, <laughs> you know, Um but um, what were some of the lessons? Was that the question? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Like what was a lesson learned like that you, from the draft? Yeah. I mean, I think the lesson learned for me in the draft was that I need to prep more, but I think it's just, it's a unique draft and it's, and the, the landscape is different from year to year. And so I think, I think my approach is probably going to be different than it has been in years past because of that. And so I think it was helpful to kind of be in this situation and see who went where and to think through where I was comfortable and where I wasn't to think about how I might approach the draft differently. If it were to happen again, even with the same players going, you know, in the spots where they did, where my roster construction might be a little bit more to my liking, Um, at least the initial roster construction. I like the team generally that I drafted, but in the first few rounds, I think things could have gone a little bit more differently, a little differently. So, yeah, I think that's that's pretty similar. Like I, one thing I said is, as we keep going through, starting pitching is so deep in this to me. It could be fool's gold, but there's a lot. Even as we continue to go on, that just guys that are SP fours, SP fives that I thought would have gone sooner. So that stood out. Uh, relief pitching. I don't know if it's going to be that crazy going in the drafts, but it could be. It could be because people might literally be traumatized from this past season. So absolutely, th- that was one where I'm going to have to really do a lot of like just even best balls and stuff just to get in my head like this is where I got to take this guy or it's not happening because I didn't like I said already I didn't have that for the first like twelve guys I got taken I just couldn't do it and then trying to to, to put my stuff together in closers has already been a nightmare so that's going to be a massive deficit on my team so we'll see how that plays out. Um, Dave Petras, the yellow, he has a question. One for you, one for me, kind of a two-parter here, but he put one pitcher for each of us, basically a pitcher we took. And we haven't um, we haven't gone over these guys yet. Um, yeah, we haven't gone over these guys all, all yet. But um, Toby, Michael Kopech, he's a real interesting, and obviously drafting him there is with the assumption he starts. For sure he can make that draft spot look very conservative. How much do you think they let him loose in 2022? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think he's really good. Uh, 27.7% K minus walk rate, 14% swinging strike. He threw 70 innings this past year, 103 strikeouts, 350 ERA, 113 whip, you know, all just really strong numbers. I mean, maybe a little bit of control issues, but he was right around league average. Um, 
So, and really dominant inside the zone as well. So I just don't, honestly, I have no idea why they wouldn't put him into the rotation. Um, unless they have some sort of questions about his durability or they have some sort of question about his, you know, ability to go through three, th through the order, you know, three times, but they got Dallas Keuchel in that rotation. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then they got Rodon who's a free agent. I think Keuchel's gone. I think his, his, his contract is up. Is that, is that right? I think so. So yeah. I think there's just a natural slot for him to, let me just check. On, on paper, they have no reason not to let him loose unless there's something structurally wrong with his arm to not let him yeah. loose. So, yeah, so there's a – oh, no, so he's through 2022. They might um, find a way to get rid of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was, he was really bad. He's really bad at virtually everything. They didn't even keep him on the postseason roster. Yeah, and so I, I see a difficult seeing Keiko – uh, come back and be part of that rotation. And it's not like he's that expensive. I mean, he signed a three-year, $55 million deal, which sounds like a ton, but, you know, a one-year contract that's lower than the qualifying offer, you know, uh, maybe they can, uh, you know, they can have him as a long relief guy or something like that, you know, in an, an, an innings eater, something. But I think Kopech is so good. He's shown himself to be so good. There's no reason why they shouldn't throw him in that rotation and give him a shot. And if he's in that rotation and let's say he throws 150 innings, right? I don't know what the logical next step after, you know, 70 innings is, but it feels like 140 is doable. And if you get 140, 140 innings of relatively similar production, I think in the 13th round, that's going to be fantastic value. And even in a draft and hold, if he's pitching in, you know, middle relief and pitching like he did this year, where he pitches like two innings, I mean, and throws 70 innings at, with the numbers that he did, it's probably a comparable pick for a 13th rounder. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's really good. So I, I think I'm pleased with kind of that as an upside play in round 13 with maybe yep, there's I, a little, a couple more stable options available. No, I don't, I don't hate it at all. He's got, uh, might not have the safest of floors, potentially I think he will, but his ceiling is going to be huge. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, the question for me, he says, I picked Cease before Darvish. Who would have thought that this past March? But I certainly agree. What are the chances he buttons up his command a bit more and he's a second or third rounder in 2023? I think Toby and I thought he's potentially a third or fourth rounder this year. So um, second rounder for sure. Because even, you know, he still walked 9.6% this past year. Toby mentioned like the second half was still about 10%. He's been about 10, 10 to 11% guy for like four straight years. This was the lowest walk rate he's had since 2000, uh, or his lowest in his career, but technically about 2000. 18 and single a it's his lowest rock rate in the bigs i think he's still so young he's still developing things you keep sticking in with guys like g Lito and lynn and that pitching that the pitching coach i forget his name now but they have something really strong going there it's one of those things with his youth they're going to teach him more like location and doing this and that i think the kids will be very very good like we saw a massive jump this year the tools are there the pitch mix is there like it, it, literally if he just flicks it on like robbie ray did Imagine what a guy like Dylan Cease could do. Now that's like what Robbie Ray did. Kind of a not a, not once in a lifetime thing, but a very rare thing to do. But if Cease even like cuts that in half, maybe he goes from nine point six to like seven, even that could be tremendous. So and and Toby already mentioned earlier the AL Central. Um, again, it's it's a better division than you think, but still the Tigers are going to be good. You can still navigate the Tigers. You can still navigate them. Um, Cleveland. The pitching is something we like. The hitting, maybe not. So uh, there, there's going to be holes in that in that division for Cease to, to feast on. So he legit could be a second or third rounder in 2023. 100%.
100% agree with that. So we'll wait and see. Or maybe he takes a step back. Maybe the controls are really issue. Like, how many years did we go in saying, Robbie Ray, this is the year, this is the end. He just started walking like 13 and 14% of guys. Here's like cutting him. Anything's possible in baseball. But I do believe Cease is heading in the right direction for sure. And one thing I'll say about Darvish is he was god-awful that second yeah. half of the season. Um, but if you look at the underlying skills for Darvish, you know, yep. they did get worse, right? So his in-zone contact was 85%, which is right around league average. So definitely went worse. His walk percentage increased as well. This is over his last 10 games of the season, 7.8%. But that's still lower than league average and around league average for a starter. His swinging strike rate down, dropped to 10.7%, but his K rate was still 30%. So he still had a 22.2% K-minus walk rate. His O-swing uh, definitely fell a lot and was worse than league average. But if my memory serves me correctly, you know, his home run uh, per fly ball rate was over 20% for much of the second half. Um, so he was giving up home runs at a, an alarmingly high clip. Whether or not that's something that he'll continue to do, um, I'm not sure. Um, and then during that second half, he also had a spike in his, his BABIP. At one point in time, over 10 games of the second half, um, he was at a 326 BABIP during that period of time, which ties for the highest in the last three years. And then um, his strand rate, check this out. His strand rate over his last 10 games was 58%. Oh, come on. Yeah. So that means that almost half of the guys that got on base against him kind of scored. So Darvish, where you got him, I mean, I think there's potential for there to be, you know, um, so that, that to be a really good pick. And I think those are the hard ones where we have immediately in the front of our minds, this recency bias where we're like, man, he got lit up and there, there looked like no way that that was going to stop happening. But Darvish is a smart pitcher, and he has generally had good command during his career. And so, and he strikes out a lot of guys. And so I could definitely see him coming back and returning some value where you got him for sure. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about him for sure next week, but that was my seventh round pick. And it was the strikeouts again. You mentioned the underlying stats, and like, no way am I comparing him to Aaron Nola, but everything everybody says about Aaron Nola's underlying stats. You got to give Darvish a little bit of the same treatment. Like, still, he was worse than Nola. I'm not going to say what, but is he five rounds worse than Aaron Nola? Probably not. Like, I guess he was injured a lot in the second half. Post sticky stuff was a lot that took place. You give me an offseason with him learning how to pitch without the sticky stuff and all the I get healthy with the arm as an SP4 on my team. I'm like, okay, with that. In round seven, where he, it's the luxury like we talked about with Ramon Marquez last year. If you take him at a certain point, now you don't have to like feel like you have to start him because he's an ace for you every week. Like I can select when and where I want to start you, Darvish. Now because I have other guys, I can switch in and out with him. Like if it's one week where I th- I'm kind of worried about his matchups, throw another closer in there for all I care. Like we we could have all kinds of things. So that's kind of a another like I'm not taking him in the second round. Or like in my head, which still shouldn't be the case, but you think about it, it's like I got to start him. He's my ace. Start your aces. Now you're not really stuck in that mold per se. So um, that's part of the process as well that will. Get into next week. Uh, Ryan Roof had a great question. I'm going to save it for the next one when we get closer to finishing because it's kind of a all-encompassing draft question. So, Ryan, not forgetting you. Um, but Brian Seymour has our last question of the show. And he asks, closers, you are 100% comfortable drafting right now. Closers that I'm 100% comfortable drafting right now. Um, Hendricks, Hader, 
Gallegos, Iglesias, Diaz, Romano, Jansen. Yep. I think that's it. Yeah, Diaz was one I looked up a couple of times because I was like, kind of like, eh. like you didn't mention the role just Chapman. Are you kind of not comfortable with him right now. Yeah, I, I just if, I understand you know he was been so not. up and down, and he was really bad the second half and really struggled. So I just don't want to. It's not that I'm not necessarily comfortable with him, but where where he's going in drafts, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily comfortable with that. I thought about Presley. Yeah. I should probably include him on that list. Although, is he a free agent? No, he's there. He's he's, he's there. He, they, they, maybe they maybe I'd add up, Presley yeah. to that. I, I feel yeah. like I've been tainted by a few blowups that he's had, um, but he's been really good as well. And then I can't remember whether I said Classe or not. I just want to say Classe, yeah. Yeah, I think he's really good. My biggest concern with him was the lack of Ks and the walks, and he seemed to really solve those both of those issues. And I see the Guardians going back to him next year for sure, just because I think he earned it. But I wouldn't want to. I, I'm not as conf- enough, confident enough in that at this point in time to draft him where he's going. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, for instance, I got Will Smith, you know, I think a few, a couple rounds later. And I feel like Will Smith had probably the worst ratios year that he's had in a while, but the skills were still really great. And I think he's Atlanta's closer next year. So I feel really good about that pick as well. So actually I'd add Will Smith to that, to that equ- equation as well. Yeah, I, I'd say that the first list you mentioned off, like the eight or nine guys, 100% on board with you there. I think Presley's very close. I'm still like, I think he starts out as the guy. You should be comfortable with him. They still got Graveman. They still got a couple guys there. So it's interesting, but it should be Presley. I don't see why it wouldn't be. So if you want to, like, if you do like a 1A list and then like 1B, I'd have like Presley, Classe, and Chapman right there where you should feel good about them, but there's reasons for slight concern, I should say. So. Like you got like seven, eight or nine, possibly like really locked in. Like I'm good going to right now, like three or four. Will Smith, I'm still always tainted with, but I'm with. I get what you're saying, so I can't argue it. Um, he's definitely no Brad Hand, so that's good. But um, that that'll that'll be fun, and we'll have some more fun ones to talk about next week because like Camilo Duvall was a very popular topic of conversation, and sure. some other guys that now you're starting to get into the waters where it's a little murkier. So again, it gets interesting because it, it gets murky quick. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll talk about all that, but uh, we'll wrap it up there, Toby. Any final thoughts? We went through the first uh, six rounds. Obviously, we'll go a lot quicker, I'd imagine, on the next ones. But those first six rounds, a lot of interesting kind of, um, I guess, philosophies or just where guys landed that stood out kind of out of nowhere type thing. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff to me. Yeah, it was really interesting. Really enjoyed this uh, going over this draft. I'm glad we're going in a little bit more depth, maybe. Um, because I think it's, it, there's a lot of it, just interesting points that I'm not even realizing until I start exactly. hearing the names and I start yep. thinking about the players and different comps and stuff like that. So it's been really enjoyable. I'm looking forward to, to getting, getting through the next chunk of rounds in the next one. Yeah, definitely. We'll do that uh, for you guys in the coming weeks. And uh, again, if you have more questions, keep them coming. We'll keep asking them like I, with Ryan's, we will get to that one. I promise it, it just fits better for later in the show. So if you have all incumbency draft questions, bring them. We'll save them for the end. If you have certain specific questions, keep them coming as well. As it's 2022 draft prep season, we'll go harder in a little bit, but we're kind of just go through this draft and get our mind, keep going in the right direction because it is pretty cool to kind of get get going to 2022 because as Toby and I know, especially Toby, he's even more on it than I am. Drafts are starting soon, Toby. <laughs> so 
<laughs> like in a month, I think these uh, draft and will be up on NFBC. So yeah, the, um, I think they um, said November sixth or, or November seventh yeah. is the date that NFBC is going to switch on over to uh, baseball. Uh, to ba- to switch on over, yeah, the draft and holds and over to baseball. So it should be interesting for sure. Yeah, so that's coming right around the corner. But we will have you covered with all that fun stuff and things. So check out Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. I'm at Pediatric. This was episode 99 of Bubba on the Batflip. Catch you guys next time. That's going to wrap us up for episode 195 of the Batflip Crazy podcast in edition number 99 of Bubba and the Batflip. I really enjoyed that. It was awesome. I mean, the draft in and of itself was really great, but when you're in it in the moment, you're making picks. You know, when we do the podcast, we really have an opportunity to think through each of the different picks, you know, uh, really analyze players and get a sense of, you know, what this draft pool is starting to look like. What are some of the strategies, strategic elements of it? You know, what is what are some of the roster construction implications of different decisions within the draft, which is always really interesting. And most importantly, gets us super excited for 2022, which is which is awesome, which is something I needed because honestly... I was a little burned out after uh, 2021. So uh, thank you all so much for listening. Best of luck with all of your 2022 fantasy baseball prep. Take care and be kind to one another.